You are now listening to the Hunter's Advantage Podcast. We preserve the history and sport of hunting through curious conversation and action-packed hunts, as well as offering you tips and strategy for more successful hunts. The Hunter's Advantage podcast is powered by Out on a Limb Manufacturing. Out on a Limb is a family-owned company based right here in Oklahoma that makes tree stands, saddle platforms, climbing sticks, and so much more. Christian, I have a quick question. What's that? What bites sound harder, a hippo or an alligator? No idea. It's a trick question. The Ridge Runner 2.0 bites harder than both of them. But all jokes aside, we use these products all across the land on public or private. These help us get into any tree we want and hunt where the deer actually are. Most men go to the grocery store for their meat, but these products help you go to God's grocery store. I have used the Out on a Limb Ridge Runner 2.0 and the Shakar Sticks for the last few years hunting public land bucks, and I've actually shot several bucks out of this setup. If you want to support the podcast and get some Out on a Limb equipment, make sure to go to outonalimmfg.com and use code HNTA10 for 10% off at checkout. Once again, if you want to support the podcast, Go to outonalimmfg.com and use code HNTA10 at checkout for 10% off. Now let's get back to the podcast. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Hunter's Advantage podcast, episode number 167. Today we're, we're joined by Joel Turner of Shot IQ. Thanks for joining us on the podcast, man. I really appreciate it. You bet. Thanks for having me, fellas. I'm really excited for this conversation because... I think 99% of people who shoot archery or bow hunt are in the same boat that Jake and I are in. And (laughs) to have you on is awesome. So we're, us two are definitely part of that 99%. Yeah. And I'm, I'm excited to dive into everything about controlled shooting, target panic, all the stuff, your realm of expertise, but just to maybe start at a little higher level, what's your background in archery and guns? And when did you, have you grown up your whole life doing all this stuff? Yeah, well, I started shooting a bow when I was seven. I started shooting centerfire rifles when I was five, and uh, it was the road to disaster. It was the typical thing, right? Everybody starts out early, and you literally, once you understand the science of how your mind works, you get one chance, like one chance. That's all you get. You get the first shot out of a centerfire rifle or the first time you shoot a bow, and if you don't understand what's happening in your mind – just starts you down the path of efficiency. And that's where I was, right? Seven years old, eight years old, all the way through my teenage years, just loving shooting, but being horrible at it. I was really good on a 22. I was really good on an air rifle. My bow, I was horrible, but I just loved watching my arrows fly so much. I would shoot till my fingers bled. <laughs> and that was, you know, back in the day when there was just no information out there. Or, you know, people had their opinions on what target panic was, but it was it was such myth-driven nonsense back then that it was it was tough because there was nothing to there was nothing to there's no way to fix it back then. So it's uh yeah, and then I became a cop and that's where and the only thing being a cop did for me is it it made me dig my determination well deeper. I had to figure it out and Nobody else seemed to be like really trying to figure it out. It was all just this periphery stuff and nobody was digging into the science of how your mind actually works. So that's what being a cop did for me. And, and luckily when I I became the lead firearms instructor for Washington state and I was able to do all kinds of 
experiments on recruits and all that stuff. And Bodie was Bodie was born in those times and bringing him up through through the ranks of archery and being able to do experiments on him and knowing how to fix his little mind at the time. And now it's just we just don't fight science anymore. There's no reason to fight science of how your mind works. So it's pretty cool. Yeah. The, uh, was there an exact moment that you realized like, this is something that I have to figure out and conquer because to me, I just thought target panic, slamming the trigger. This is just a way of life. This is just how it's always been done. I didn't mm-hmm. even know there was a cure for this. What, at what point did you notice this is the problem that I'm encountering? Well, it was pretty much when I, when I became a cop, I was in the academy, you know, dealing with firearms instructors and, and, uh, you know, they were, they would tell you certain things to fix your shot. And I'm like, I don't, you know, they'd yell front sight, front sight, front sight. And I'm like, I don't think, I don't think the front sight's the problem, sir. (laughs) (laughs) And all this time I'm, I'm trying to fix my archery shot. And I, I started shooting with a clicker and I started shooting with a hinge release and, and those things helped, but they didn't really do anything for me at the moment of truth in high stress shooting situations. But two years into my law enforcement career, I got on the SWAT team and I was instantly put on the sniper crew just because I had a firearms background. But evidently, they didn't know that my firearms background wasn't great. (laughs) (laughs) A lot of shooting. It's not that it was good shooting. So, and it just really scared the crap out of me because you know, if you screw up in a tactical situation, it's not going to be good for you. So, you know, I'd shoot at a coyote and I'd yank the trigger on a coyote with my rifle. I'm like, man, what if I do that in a real situation? Right. It scared the hell out of me. And well, I think time, about I've got bow hunting as a sounding board and I keep failing there. Right. Cause I'm not getting all the way through my shots and bow hunting either. And it was just this mess. I'm like, I gotta figure this out. So it was just kind of the, a perfect storm of of starting into figuring my own shot out, then figuring out how to, how to give that knowledge to somebody else. And then people tell me, telling me that I was wrong and really diving into like, okay, I don't want to be wrong. I don't want to just have something that works. I got to have something that's biologically and scientifically correct. And that's where we stopped dealing with opinion and just started dealing with how the mind works. And what did you, what did you find out through your pursuit of fixing this problem of what is actually going on in the mind and what do you have to like overcome to shoot a controlled shot? Well, it was figuring out what's the problem. Like, what is the true problem with this whole situation? And once we finally define the problem as it's like the core problem in shooting, your subconscious mind will not allow you to cause your body impact as a surprise. If it can time the explosion, it will time the explosion. So just knowing, just defining the problem, you know, people never really define it like, oh, it's fear, the fear of missing or, you know, you're scared of the recoil or whatever. Well, yeah, your body is terrified of impact. It does not want to press the trigger on a rifle as a surprise. It doesn't want to be surprised by an explosion, but you can kind of get over it with a rifle because, I mean, do you guys rifle hunt at all? Uh, used to, I used to, I mean, heck I still do, but yeah. (laughs) Think about this, you know, there's had to been some time in your life when you had a shot on something and you forgot to take the safety off. Oh, and And you see all that, (laughs) all 
all the pre-ignition movements that are linked to your trigger motor program. But because there was that safety and you had that humiliating moment and you're just like, oh, man, did anybody see that? Right. And then you're like, OK, you take the safety off. And the second time you shoot, you're now you're determined. The task is no different. Of pressing the trigger, the task doesn't change. But your determination is now through the roof because you just humiliated yourself by yanking a trigger and having all these pre-ignition movements. So once your determination is high enough. Then you make a decision that, okay, I got to get better on this trigger just for this one shot. I got to get better on the trigger. And then you end up talking yourself through it. That's why rifles are so much easier to fix shot anticipation with because the explosion happens in the apparatus. It does impart recoil upon your body, but the explosion happens. It's not in your body. Whereas in archery, the explosion happens inside your body. That's why archery is so much more difficult to control than firearms. There's no safety on a bow. So we keep shooting this bow over and over and over and punching the trigger over and over again. And you're literally just making yourself worse. So figuring out the core problem. And then once you understand that, then you start to figure out the sciences that are working against you and the ones that are working for you or the ones that you can make work for you in the, in those situations. So in, in your years of doing this, uh, bow hunting wise, is that probably the most common problem is just punching the trigger? There's two things that are the problem. Either you can get on the target, but you punch the trigger or you can't even get on the target without punching the trigger. Right. So mm -hmm. a lot of people out there are locked off target. Like they can't literally, they literally cannot get their pin on the target. And they keep shooting that shot. And every time they do that, the subconscious gets stronger and stronger and stronger because the pin being in the middle equals an explosion. So it wants to time everything off of your off of your sight picture. That's how it times the pre-ignition movements. And it links them to the trigger motor program. So it's just a nightmare for people. Cause you know, let's say that you can get your you can get your pin on there. So you, but to do that, maybe you're one of those people that has to keep your finger behind the trigger or keep your finger off of the trigger, right? So as long as you got your finger off the trigger, you can put your pin on the target. So you put your pin behind that buck's shoulder, but then you hammer the trigger. Well, as soon as you do that, it's called an open loop control system. It's too fast for you to stop or modify. So you hammer the trigger and that opens up the floodgates and allows your subconscious mind to link all kinds of pre-ignition movements to it, collapsing, grabbing your bow, wincing your face, all kinds of stuff that deviates your point of impact. When you were talking about that, it made me think the first probably decade that I was bow hunting, I would feel so safe and secure when my finger was behind the, the trigger. And every second that it started to go to curl, I felt my heart rate. It felt like by 10 oh, yeah. beats a minute going right. up every centimeter got closer and by the time it got on the target it was like it's got to go it's now or never boom right. yeah and it makes intuitive sense right i mean when the pin's on hit the trigger right and that's how we started right that's we we go to the bow shop we buy our bow we get our index finger trigger it's got like a long squishy nasty trigger on it and you just you draw back and you put your pin on you press the trigger super easy right but then it gets faster and faster and faster and then we have to keep our finger off the trigger and it just becomes this nightmare and then you start buying different releases 
And it's just this, you know, you go up and down, you go from index finger trigger to thumb buttons, and then you're in hinges with clicks, and then you're into tension activated releases. And then they're just, there's all kinds of weird stuff that they've got out there now. But uh, the whole industry is built around target panic. I mean, when you look at the industry of archery, it is all built around shot control and target panic. And everybody's trying to fix it with a mechanical means. But there's a, I mean, when you fix the problem mentally, the mental problem, when you fix it mentally, then you can shoot any release you want. Then you can pick whichever one is most accurate for you, whichever one you can evaluate the movement the best. But if you keep going to the range and shooting shots where you're punching the trigger, you're just making yourself worse every single time. Oh, I was just going to say, it almost seems like super hard for someone to wrap their mind around because what we what we've been talking about for the most part is just shooting, let's say just a normal target, like a bag or, mm-hmm. or a 3d target or something like that. And people, including myself, I'm heck, I was shooting earlier today and I, I was having those same issues as, as I've, I've always had mm-hmm. about how either keeping it steady and floating it. And then at, you know, you think you got it on and then you're trying to pull through your shot and squeeze the trigger. And it just seems like there's so many things happening and that's not even in a hunting standpoint where, you know, you're worried, you're worried about reading the room. You know, if, if a doe is behind you about to wind you and then, you know, your butt comes in and he's kind of acting like he has schizophrenia and all these things are going around and that's not even including like the different types of panics that heck I've had in the past, whether, you know, the last couple deer, it just seems like I completely black out and I'm just praying to God, you know, my muscle memory takes, takes hold or you get the shake so bad where you can't even, yeah. you know, hold still. And it just seems like there's these different types of panics. And so I just don't understand how one could wrap their mind around that, if that makes sense. So let me give you a statement that will clean up that mental mess. Please do. And it, It's really <laughs> going to make you think about what is really going through your head in these moments. The statement is this thoughts aren't thinking. Thoughts aren't thinking. They're two completely different things. So when you're when your thoughts are on this doe behind you or your thoughts are when you're shooting today, you're like, oh, is that am I steady enough? And then I'm going to try to do this. Trying is not strong enough, but thoughts aren't thinking, right? Are you shooting mm-hmm. with thoughts or are you shooting by thinking? Look at it this way. Thoughts are what you hear. Thinking is what you say. So okay. what... What conversation do you have with yourself in these when you're shooting or when you're in a high stress shooting event? Your conversation has to get cleaned up because that is how you direct your conscious mind is through speech. Right? When you have thoughts, those thoughts are coming from the limbic system in your brain. That's what's in the back, rear portion of your brain. You have to move the thoughts to thinking in the prefrontal cortex. The vehicle to do that is always speech. But we have self-talk, right? Self-talk is usually negative, however. Self-talk is one of those things that you hear. Self-instruction is completely different. So if you have, if you're out shooting on the range and you have this kind of mental mess going on, you got to clean up the conversation that you're having, if you're having any conversation at all. Or are you shooting merely by thoughts? and not thinking, right? So let's say somebody's locked off target. They draw back their bow and it always comes to fruition again. Like, oh, I'm locked off target again. That's a thought. Thinking would be, 
okay, I got to get my pin up there. I'm going to do that by keeping my finger off the trigger and then I'm going to put it up there. Okay, got it there. And then you just keep moving through the shot through words, right? Talking yourself through it. Thoughts aren't thinking. And that's a very profound statement. And I, I had never heard that statement before. My, my buddy Ben Mayer, uh, when we went to New Zealand this year, I gave him the mental game equation, which I'm going to give you guys in just a second. But um, I was talking about the mental game equation and we always have these deep chats and, and he goes, yeah, thoughts aren't thinking. I'm like, whoa, that's deep, bro. <laughs> <You know? laughs> it's three words. Thoughts aren't thinking. And it's, it's so profound in everything that we do. Most people are running their shots and running their lives with thoughts alone. And they're not actually thinking because they don't know how to do it. It's simple. It's just speech. Instruct your way through things. That's how you trap your conscious mind into things. So if you're working on the trigger, there's only four things you need to do in an archery shot. Mm -hmm. Number one, draw back and aim. Number two, address the trigger. So you get your finger around the trigger and you preload it. Number three is to say, here I go, because that's a decision that increases your presence and readies your mind for the concentration that's about to happen, which is job number four. How do you concentrate? You talk yourself through the movement, right? And that keeps your mind out of the aim because putting your conscious mind in the aim does not help you at all. The, I mean, based on the science of visual proprioception, no matter which way the pin moves, its next movement is always back to the center. Oh, really? Yeah. So you really don't need to worry about your aim. Just, I mean, you're, Jake, you're sitting there right now. Take, you got a pen with you? Uh, no, no, I don't. Uh, this man doesn't take notes right. You have anything that's sharp? Uh, not sharp, but I got, what like, you got? you're talking about to, to write something down or? No, you don't need to write oh. anything. I just need, like, Thank something God. you're going you're gonna to point with. <laughs> yep. I got yeah. it. I got okay. the end of my glasses. Okay, so take the end of your glasses and hold it out at full extension and put it on something on the wall. All right. All right. You see it moving. Mm -hmm. You notice that no matter which way it moves, this next movement's always back to the center? I do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's how your eyes work, bro. So when we're, when we're driving down the road, you get, you're driving down the road, you get visual feedback, your vehicle's veering slightly to the left. You make an automatic corrective movement on the steering wheel, and when you get the right visual feedback to your vehicle's back in the center of the lane, that movement on the steering wheel stops. Hmm. We're using visual proprioception all the time, but people are so worried about their aim. Just stick the pin on the target and enjoy the show because you don't have any control over it anyways. I mean, you weren't physically manipulating the end of your glasses. You're simply watching it, and that's yeah. how it stays in the middle. Okay. That kind of, yeah, yeah, I understand if, that. If you keep thinking about your aim and talking about your aim in your shot, you will punch the trigger 100% of the time. The skill is not in the aim itself, the skill is in how well can you step away from it. So you're you're saying you're almost putting the aim. The aim is what it is. It's kind of agnostic of what's going on. Like it doesn't get any doesn't get any better, and it doesn't help your accuracy. People are like, well, how is that possible? You're not aiming. You you're pointing. You don't shoot better by aiming better. You shoot better by keeping pre ignition movements out of your shot sequence. The only way to do that is to concentrate on the trigger movement. So you get that surprise break. That's so interesting to me because 
even today. I was shooting my bow this morning mm-hmm. and I'd shoot one shot and it'd go great. Shoot the next shot. It's three inches to the left. Next shot. It's an inch to the right. And it was pissing me off. Cause I was mm-hmm. trying to sit there and, and then I got to the point where I was like, you were saying, trying to time things, even mm-hmm. working through the back tension, I'm, I'm shooting a thumb release. I've got my thumb wrapped and just kind of in a constant mm-hmm. position. And then I'm trying mm-hmm. to work my ring finger to work that trigger. Mm-hmm. Even in that I'm trying to time it. Right. It's, yeah, it's because you're having thoughts. You're not thinking, I mean, what are you, what are your thoughts during your shot? I have nothing. It's literally just, Oh, I, when that pin hits where it needs to be, mm-hmm. I need to fire the shot. That's what I'm right. That's what I'm that's, thinking. That's 99.9% of archers, bro. And that makes intuitive sense to your mind. I mean, why wouldn't we just work the trigger when the pin's on it? But the problem is that when the pin is on it and you see that the pin is on it, you're thinking about the pin or your aim itself and your mind loves it to time it off of that and you go open loop on the trigger. Therefore, you'll have pre-ignition movements. You'll flinch. And that equates to a micro collapse or grabbing your bow or that's why you shoot one in the middle and then you shoot one three inches one way and up, down, all over the place because those are your pre-ignition movements that keep you from hitting the center every time. I mean, you see it in professional archery all the time. There's a there's just a handful of people that a uh, handful of people that can actually punch a trigger and stay in the middle. But when they punch the trigger, like if if this was the trigger and they actually get on it and then and then they just give it a little just a little pop and their triggers are set so light. I mean, you can literally blow on them and they'll go off. Right. So they'll get their thumb on it and but off it goes. And they're cool. Shot an X. Right. And they do very well with that until they get an extreme stress and then they punch one from just off the trigger. Right. Usually they punch it from here. But when they punch it from here, that opens up a range of motion for the pre ignition movement. And that's where they miss the X. There's been a couple times where I've tried to implement the stuff that you've talked about of mm-hmm. the, here I go, the self-talk. And then, you know, I've heard Rogan talk about it. I've heard other people, I've uh, several folks talk about pull, like that's a word that they use to work themselves through the shot. Mm-hmm. And I've done that just pull, pull, not focusing on the aim, mm-hmm. just shooting. And when the shot went off, it legitimately scared me. Mm-hmm. It was, yeah. it was, so, it was such a surprise. People say a surprise shot. No, it literally startled me. It was such right. a surprise. It, and it should every single time. Now that startle will obviously get less and less and less. Like it's, uh, you know, you're going through a haunted house and you know, you know, you're just going through there for the first time and you go around the corner, blah, right? They jump out and it scares the hell out of you. Well, you go through the same haunted house again and again and again, right? And when they jump out and scare you, like, ah, okay, gotcha, right? But you still got a little start every time, no matter what. I mean, that's, that has to be your new norm. And I would just did a clinic in Indiana this weekend where a guy was shooting and, and he didn't even know that he was punching the trigger. I mean, he's like, am I, am I punching it? I'm like, well, I'll show you. So I took a video of him and showed him that he's going open loop on the trigger. He says, why well, I, I kill like everything that sits in front of me. I'm like, okay. So I'm just giving you information there. There's a whole other level of accuracy that's out there. And so, you know, why would somebody want to control their shot if they're, if they're doing great hunting and stuff? Cool. You know, that's, that's awesome. But what about that person that's not doing very well, that's your buddy and they have no way out 
and you don't even know how you do what you do. And so you have no way of giving that person information, you know, cool for you, but not cool for the rest of us that don't know what the hell we're doing. You know what I mean? So I, I always approach it from an instruction standpoint. Like I had to get control of my own shot. And then once I did, I had to figure out how do I impart this knowledge onto somebody else? And that's what, that's what shot IQ is about. The, I mean, the struggle does not have to happen anymore. I went through a lifetime of target panic. I used to have to hold like five feet off of a target. It was a nightmare, but that does, I don't need to do that anymore because I know how my brain works. I know, I know I've been through lots of stressful situations. Now you guys have been through probably more than I have right in, in your bow hunting. Cause you guys get to shoot whitetails all the time. Well, in yes. Washington state, you shoot maybe two arrows a year. Well, we shoot at whitetails. So we don't really <laughs> shoot, shoot them, but yeah, okay. we get what you're saying. <laughs> but, yeah. uh, so there's, there's that issue of the mental battle of, of, or yeah, I guess the mental battle of people trying to execute their shot, but how, how does one stay calm? Like, let's say a hunting scenario, when you get that buck fever, you get the shakes mm-hmm. of, of, you know, a lot, what, what goes through my mind at that time is, you know, especially on some of the public land we hunt, it's pretty thick and there's not a lot of, you know, you got like 20, 30 yards to shoot max sometimes and you have that okay i gotta shoot now it's either now or never now or never mm-hmm. how does i know you have some experience with that you know with with your uh cop work and all that stuff so so how how does one battle that mentally so if you blueprint your shot like you go outside and you shoot and you use your shot for concentration practice so you go out there and you know you know for 1,000% certain that, number one, you're going to draw back a name. Number two, you're going to address the trigger. Number three, you're going to say, here I go. And number four, you're going to talk your way through the movement. And you would figure out whatever those words are that you're going to use to direct and trap your concentration. You take all the mystery out of your shot, and you get good at organizing your shot to the point where you can draw back quickly. You get your pin on there quickly. You get your finger on there quickly. And you say, here I go quickly. And then there's a certain speed limit that you have to stay under for your trigger work. So you get to the point where there's no mystery in your shot. I know exactly how I'm going to shoot every shot for the rest of my life. The first portion, all the way up to here I go, Sometimes I can do slowly. Sometimes I'm going to have to speed up. It's the organization of the shot. Coming to full draw, getting your anchor point quickly, hooking the trigger. Here I go. And you're working through the trigger. I mean, what most people do is they, they snap their bow back and they haven't drawn their bow with knowledge and purpose. So they have no idea how the shot's going to go. And they've never practiced the blueprint. They've never asked themselves, what am I thinking about after here I go? What am I saying after here I go? Could I stop it? And what decisions am I making? Because they never blueprint it. They don't know how they did it. And every time they shoot at a deer, it's like a whole new mystery. Right? Well, I feel for the most part, which I've I've done in the past, but the last few seasons I've been trying to like hold extra long, which which this was before your your program and all your videos and stuff, but I've been trying to hold on a deer just a few seconds longer just so you know because before it was you know all right my pins on basically fur 
punch the trigger. Hopefully it goes well, but it seems like I'm trying to like calm myself. Just a, even if it's a few seconds before I would normally shoot just to try to collect myself. But I feel like that's that for the most part is, is probably what a lot of people struggle with as well is, you know, you draw back as soon as you get the pin on them and you, mm-hmm. and you figure out which pin it is. I mean, heck there's a lot of times where it's felt like there's the deer's, you know, basically on all three of my pins and it's just like, mm-hmm. well, I'm just going to punch Good a trigger enough. and get it over with. Yeah. <laughs> basically. Good enough. But when you make, when you practice making decisions in your shot, like before you draw your bow back, say, no matter what, I'm going to shoot this shot with control. No matter what, as you draw your bow back, say something to yourself. When you say things in your shot, you make decisions and it increases your presence. So knowing what decisions you're going to make, when you're going to make them, and how to carry them out is very powerful. It's very calming to know. So you know that you can't take the same body with you to the tree stand. Like when the buck comes in, you will physiologically be changed. Your heart rate goes up. Your perspiration goes up. Your respiration goes up. You lose fine motor skill. All these things happen, and you really can't control that. You can control your breathing right? And you're controlling your breathing so that you can continue to think, right? And, you know, there's box breathing, there's the double nose inhale, there's all kinds of different techniques that you can do there. But knowing that you can't take the same body with you, you must be able to take the same mind, right? And if you've blueprinted your shot, you know, I'm going to draw back an aim. I'm going to address my trigger. I'm going to say, here I go. Then I'm going to talk myself through the movement. It's very powerful to know exactly how you're going to shoot your shot. And it just takes all the mystery out of it. And it, I can't tell you how much stress is you are liberated from when you don't have to worry about your aim. Just stick your pin, whatever your sight picture needs to be, stick your pin exactly where you want it because it means nothing anymore. You haven't even addressed your trigger yet, right? So get your pin on, then address the trigger. Then here I go. And the big problem with the the shot that you're describing is it's the shot that I've shot hundreds of those shots, right? But I've shot every one of them within the critical second. The critical second is the one second in time after your mind believes the aim is complete. So you see the right sight picture and booyah, you punch that trigger. When you do that, you go open loop on the trigger and you will have pre-ignition movements linked to your trigger motor program. That's how you get collapses and grabbing your bow and you gut shoot these things at 15 yards. It's like, how in the world are these people missing or hitting them in the guts at 15 yards? But then they, they show on the next segment of the TV program, they show them out practicing and they're punching their trigger in practice, right? It's they're- crazy. They're literally practicing their own failure. Say hi to whoever that was. That <laughs> hey, <happen>? Abby. <laughs> uh, She's not important. <laughs> it, it's crazy that this this is a such a vital part and one of the most important parts of bow hunting and archery uh-huh. that I have not focused and I feel like most people have not focused on because I've went through school of knock. I've consumed a lot of your stuff. I've watched Levi Morgan's Bow Life Boot Camp. I've watched all of it and I've always tried to address my hand positioning. Yeah. 
um, my feet, how I'm gripping the bow, if I'm torquing it, all these things. And the one thing that determines all of it, I'm like, oh, no, I figured that out. I I got that part. The mental processes, right? Yeah. So so let's dig into this just, just for a second. Just bear with me. So I go on the Joe Rogan podcast and Joe is talking about all the things that we do in shot IQ and how it applies to life. But again, at that point, I didn't really have the nexus. I didn't have this connection. Like what is, what is it that we do in shot IQ and how do we apply it to everything else in life? And then somebody asked me after the Rogan podcast, cause I got, I mean, all kinds of people from all over the world calling me for like mental advice and how to put their, how to, how to figure out what we do at shot IQ for golf or basketball or baseball or drag racing or a uh, psychiatrist called me uh, long jumpers call me. I mean, it's like all these people are trying to figure out how we do what we do. And then somebody asked me a very specific question. They said, can you define the mental game? I'm like, well, that's a good question, right? So mental game of what? And he said, that's all I'm asking. I'm like, okay. So I had to figure this out. What's the definition of the mental game? Cause you guys have heard this, right? People say, I'm working on my mental game. I'm practicing the mental game, but they've never defined it. So how in the world do you practice something that you've never defined what it is? So here's the definition that I came up with. It's knowing when, where, and how to direct your conscious mind into a specific task at a specific moment. Knowing when, where, and how to direct your conscious mind into a specific task at a specific moment. Period. End of sentence. Think about that for your archery shot. There's a moment of truth in everything that we do, but it's way more specific because people call it, oh, your moment of truth is the shot. The moment of truth is right after you say, here I go. Right? Let's get specific about the mental game of archery. We've drawn back and aimed. Cool. We've addressed our trigger. Good. If your pin's on the side of a critter, your mind's like, let it go. <laughs> let it now. go. Look, at all right? look, at it. look at it. You're going to be a hero. It's a 200 incher. All right. And you're having all these thoughts. Well, thoughts aren't thinking. So we got to know how we got to know where to put our conscious mind. That's in the trigger work. We got to know when to put it there. That's right after here I go. And then how do you do it? Speech. Language is always the vehicle that moves thoughts from the limbic system to the prefrontal cortex where you're actually thinking. So that's the mental game of archery, of an archery shot. I've had people ask me about long jumping, the mental game of long jumping. And there's all kinds of stuff that goes in with that. But we take this definition, we turn it into an equation. So now you just take your problem. It might be an anxiety attack. It might be anger management. It might be parenting. All of these things have these moments where conscious control must exist and you got to know how to do it. So you take your problem and you plug it into the mental game equation, you know, and that's how you figure out the mental game of the solution, right? It's so, it's so simple, but nobody ever defined it that I know of. I mean, I surround myself with very smart people and I'm not, the, I'm certainly not the smartest one around here, but I tend to think about things one level deeper than most. And I try to find the depth of the solution. Like you can ask a doctor about the mental game or 
something about your brain or certain compartments in the brain or whatever, and they'll go down to the synaptic level and they get too deep and they miss the depth of the solution. Like you don't need to know the brain chemicals and how the chemicals change in your brain when you have adrenaline and all that stuff. You can't fix that, but you can talk yourself through something. You can instruct yourself through something. Do we need to know all the background stuff? Not necessarily. I need to know that, but you need a tangible tool to concentrate on your trigger movement right now. And that's how you do it is through speech. So you take this, this profound statement of thoughts aren't thinking. You take the mental game equation, and now you can actually start to practice for high-stress shooting events. Is there a – are you audibly talking to yourself through these shots? Like are you saying them out loud? Because you can't just no. think about – you're not. You're just thinking about those words? Internal dialogue, yeah. So you're – I mean you're self-instructing your way through it. So what would a shot sound like? So if I was using an index finger trigger, so the shot would sound like this, like the buck's coming in and he turns broadside. I haven't had a chance to draw my bow yet. So he turns broadside and that's when you get that big adrenaline rush. And that is when you go, okay, no matter what, because you just took yourself out of the fact that it's a 165 inch eight point, right? <sighs> You just took yourself out of that fact and you put yourself into the shot process simply by saying no matter what or making some decision. Let's do this. I don't care what you say. Say something that gets you out of that target lock, right? So here he is, no matter what. And as you draw your bow back, so now you're drawing your bow with knowledge and purpose because you know what's coming next. As you draw your bow back, say something, right? Like, I'm going to do this right. Every time you make those decisions, you increase your presence. So as you draw your bow, I'm going to do this right. You get your pin on uh, and you're just freaking out like, oh, my gosh, I got my pin where I want it. And like, OK, I got to move my finger on the trigger. OK, right. You're just you are thinking your way through this. This is what's going through your head. This is what you are saying, not just what you're hearing, because you're hearing, oh, my God, it's a monster. Right. <laughs> That's your thoughts. He's going to get away. That's a very common thought. I've only got a split second. That's another very common thought. You don't have control over those things, right? You are going to have thoughts that occur in your shot. It would be remiss for me to say that you're not going to have these thoughts, but your thinking has to be louder than your thoughts. Your voice has to be louder then the other voice that's happening that's saying, oh, my God, it's a monster buck. Right? <laughs> so before you draw, no matter what, or I'm going to shoot this shot off control, no matter what. It's the original decision. Then you draw your bow back. As you draw, I'm going to do this right. Get that pin on them. Once the pin's on them, hook in on your finger. And then you got another job to do. Here I go. Here I go. We'll up your presence so that you can think your way through the trigger movement. So fingers on, here I go. Pull until it goes off or it doesn't. It's none of your business, right? It's literally none of your business. If you, if you stay in the movement, it's going in the middle. Why wouldn't it, right? Unless the buck does something that you don't have control of. If he 
if he jumps the string or whatever, you don't have control of that stuff, right? If you think he's going to jump the string, then aim a little bit lower. But your aim means nothing to you. So you have these very specific jobs in your shot that people just try to blend them all together. I mean, the normal shot is, oh, my God, it's 165 inches. I think it's a freaking monster. Try to go back. Uh, which pin was it? I don't know. They're all on him. <laughs> right? That's the normal. That's normal. That's what your brain wants because it wants to get you out of that stressful situation. Most people, when they shoot at critters, don't remember anything about the shot. You you were telling me that today, Jake, weren't you? On like you, I think you wrote it in our notes when we were talking about like it. And it's hard for me to do it too. Just recall exactly like you're saying. What were you saying to yourself? What decisions are you making? Mm-hmm. And a lot of t- there was no decision being made. It's like Jake saying autopilot pins on him black. I don't remember ex- what happened at all. If yeah. you don't, if you don't remember anything else about what I all my psycho babble I'm talking about. If you remember nothing else, remember here I go. Here I go is always the giant reset button. And why do we say here I go? Because it's the embodiment of the conscious override of your central nervous system. Like what would you say before you jumped off a cliff? Here I go. Oh, right? shit. <laughs> <laughs> you, would say, you would say something. You got your little toesies hanging over the edge there. And if you're looking over the edge, you're like, Ooh, I don't know if that water is deep enough. You're in the future, right? You'll never do, you'll never move your body off a cliff if your thinking or your thoughts are in the future. So it's not until you got to take a breath in and go, here I go. Then and only then are you present enough to do a movement that causes your body impact. It's no different on the trigger. I've been using the new Exodus Rival cell camera for the last couple months, and I have found a beautiful mainframe eight point with tons of stickers to go after this fall one thing i do appreciate about exodus trail cameras is all the cameras share the same data plans you only pay for what you need a lot of cell cam companies charge you for hd pictures i've seen prices of five dollars for 50 hd pics exodus is going to give you unlimited hd pictures right to your phone which is awesome when you're sitting there in the middle of the summer and it's 100 degrees and you just want to binge a bunch of trail cam photos if you're looking for a solid cell camera with great performance and a five-year no bs warranty go check them out. So as we all know, hunting gear is something people can make way too complicated. Arrows can be the exact same way. Instead of going down all those rabbit holes, trying to sift through the endless information that's online, and you're not really sure if it's right or wrong, Exodus makes it simple to get the right arrow for your exact setup. So go online to the Exodus Arrow Builder. It takes less than a minute. You're going to enter your draw weight, your draw length, and how heavy of a point you're shooting. And it's going to be that simple. Let the guys at Exodus take care of the rest. So if you're interested in Exodus Rival cell cameras or a new set of their MMT arrows, just go to ExodusOutdoorGear.com and use code HA15 for 15% off anything on the website once again that is exodusoutdoorgear.com use code ha15 at checkout for 15 percent off now let's get back to the podcast well uh we were talking to some oh what was his name get more uh game recovery or yeah, something chad. like that chad he uh he tracks deer for i don't know if he does it for a living or just a side side job or whatever but he said that uh most of the time when he asks the hunter, you know, where do you think you hit it at? You know, because yeah. depending on how long they're going to wait and whatnot. Right. Uh, he says that if they recover the deer, it's about 90% of the time or, or something like that, that 
it's usually not where the hunter says they remembered it. Yeah. I mean, they, they may have even aimed correctly, but they completely blacked out. They completely blacked out when they shot that shot and they thought they hit it where it was. I mean, if you, when you shoot surprise shots with a compound, you really can't pick up your arrow flight before 30 yards. Interesting. So, so if that buck is at 15 yards, you're, you got to know that you did everything that you could and you pulled through that thing and bah, you shot that surprise break and it's going in the middle. Then they're, then they are where you think they are. So the, why is there, why is there so few people on TV that shoot well on critters? Mm. They're all punching the trigger, right? So it's, I mean, there's, there's a few that usually most of them are target archers as well. You know, and they get lots of experience in high stress events. Those people are working themselves through a shot. Like when you watch Levi shoot a deer, you always hear the click of his hinge. Right? You ever notice that? Mm -hmm. You always hear the click of his hinge. So what we did uh, just recently with Stan is we made a thumb button with a click in it. And it's phenomenal because the click pulls your conscious mind out of the aim. Right? Back into very, moving them. You have a very specific job to do in this hinge. You got a very specific job to do with the Stan Onyx clicker. You are doing long travel to a click that pulls your conscious mind out of the aim and puts it back here in the release where it should be. Right as a mechanical thing. So clicks in releases are a big deal. They are a very good thing if used properly, if used as a presence point, if used as a decision point, phenomenal stuff. You will see in the future, there'll be most releases will be made with clicks in them from here on. That's very interesting. The So the, the here I go, the way that I thought about it in my mind is like if you were shooting with like a 4K camera and that focus is on that deer, it's taking that focus from that animal back onto what's going on with the bow. Mm -hmm. That's what you're doing with it. You're about to jump off the cliff, right? And I'm asking you to jump off a cliff slowly, right? Slow enough you can stop your step anywhere as your as your foot starts to go out into midair, right? You're just stepping out there and all of a sudden the sear breaks or you fall off the cliff, okay? <laughs> it's very difficult for you, for the human mind to comprehend to do a movement that causes an explosion and ignore it is just shy of impossible. So you, impossible. you mentioned uh, like pulling away from it, like, you know, you be in the moment where you can step away from it, step away from that cliff. Can you, can you dig a little bit more into that? What you mean by that? So I mean that, you know, we, we're <laughs> doing a movement that causes an explosion. Your mind wants to know when it's going to happen. The higher the stress the more it wants to know when it's going to happen. It wants to get your entire body out of that stressful situation. So we start to use these situations for concentration practice. Like I know how I'm going to shoot every shot for the rest of my life on a game animal. That's very powerful to know. But, you know, most people are not in that realm because they've never blueprinted how they did it. Even if they do have control, it's still a mystery. So, you know, jumping off the cliff, here I go, gets you through. Like if you say, here I go, if you time it, here I go. It's one second. It takes one second to say. It's that one second hump after you believe the aim is complete that you got to get yourself over. 
Because if you punch the trigger, if you move the trigger within that one second to shoot the shot, it's not going to work, right? Because it's open loop. Open loop is a movement that's too fast for you to stop or modify in the middle. Closed loop is a movement that's slow enough you could stop anywhere within it, right? It's slow enough you can gain feedback within it. That requires, if the movement is going to cause an explosion, that requires concentration. Concentration runs through speech. So here I go is the giant prep. It's the giant slap in the face like, hey, man, we're back here. We're not up there anymore. We don't need to be up there. Being up there in the sights and the critter doesn't help us at all. In fact, that's what causes us to punch the trigger, right? Because you're having you're shooting by thoughts alone. And if you stay in the realm of thoughts, the subconscious is allowed to tell itself when to punch the trigger. That that thought of, like you said, slow enough where you can stop it. Mm -hmm. Just the thought of that gave me anxiety to think <laughs> about. <laughs> just thinking slow enough where if I needed to, I could let off this and it won't go off. Because mm -hmm. just thinking about that made made my heart rate. Uh, that's the go that's higher. the level of concentration. Like, are you actually moving it slow enough you can stop it? Yes, but people think about that like, oh, that's way too slow. Well, that's where I do I do things in my clinics that show people how fast they can move. Like, how fast can you actually move and stay in control of a motor program? So. When you do a shot IQ, you know, in person or online, you'll see, you'll take that test and you'll see exactly how fast you can move. And once you have that knowledge, then it's really easy because you have an exact replica in your shot as far as what you just did and how you stayed closed loop on something. So I, I think I was listening to Levi talk about it in his boot camp, but he was, I think he was saying the importance of drawing your bow into a position and getting in your anchor points like fairly quickly and not wasting any movement in your draw. Mm -hmm. Because I, th I think the number was like six seconds where he said like, that is where you're going to be the most accurate, where you're, you're not going to start to break down. How, how do you kind of reconcile the two of like, Hey, maybe the first 10 seconds are the most accurate you're going to be just because you're drawing and you know, it obviously deteriorates over time while still working through that shot at a slow pace. So that's why you get good at, like, like Levi said, you get good at organizing your draw and organizing your aim and organizing, addressing the trigger, all those things that don't equate to actual shooting. Mm -hmm. You get good at those can become automatic, right? You drawing your bow back, getting in your anchor, into your peep, on your trigger, here I go. And then once it's here I go, that's when the whole world has to just come into the trigger movement and you can only move a certain speed, right? And then to stay closed loop. And then it will break as a surprise. There's no pre-ignition movements when it's a surprise break because your body doesn't know when to brace you for impact. Because it doesn't know when the bow is going off. It just You're just controlling this movement or its movement or whatever the movement is for your particular release. So uh, he's correct in saying that. you got to organize. you got to get good at drawing your bow and getting your pin on the target and addressing the trigger and all those things. But there's a certain speed that you can't pass in your trigger movement. So that's... That's just the way it is. It's not my opinion. That's just the way it is. So yeah. none of this stuff is based on my opinion. So that's interesting. What about so what about the clicker? And so the whole idea when you're working through the trigger, it's gonna be a surprise. Mm -hmm. When the clicker goes off, it's almost like a 
you're almost there. Is mm-hmm. that, could that be an issue with somebody that subconsciously is like, okay, just now pull real quick or move if, real quick? If used improperly, yes. Right. Because anybody that takes a click out of their release, like if they are shooting a hinge or a, or a, like a Scott Verge or a Stan Onyx clicker, like if you were to take the click out of it, it's because they're not using the click properly. They, they hit it on accident. Right. They don't know where they're going to hit it. Like I've asked people before, hey, where do you hit your click? Like, I don't know. Sometimes it scares me. Sometimes it clicks right when I get to anchor. Sometimes it clicks when I'm aiming. I'm like, why don't you clean that up? Right. Just make it a conscious movement to a click. When you do that, it does all kinds of amazing things. You draw back and aim first. Then, like if you're shooting a hinge, you draw back and aim first. Then you roll your fingers to the click. That sets up the motor program, right? Like you know it's going to click when you do this movement. Therefore, it doesn't freak you out anymore. It's Mm -hmm. just a presence point. And it sets the release in the same preload, the same sear distance every single time. Like if you have a, a hinge with no click in it, You might be starting from here, or you might be starting from here, or you might be starting from here. You think you're doing the same motor program, but some of them you have to move more, some of them you have to move less. And when you watch it, the the mind will automatically, it knows where it's going to break, and it will start to slow down and come to a stop right before it breaks. So use the click so that if we're going to shoot a hinge with a click, draw back and aim, roll to the click. Here I go roll and you'd go the rest of the way if you're shooting an onyx clicker right that's the reason that i that we did that is because i'm thinking to myself why in the world like all these professional archers my my son included are shooting hinges with clicks because that's the only one they can control now Bodie can control them all but when you talk to most professional archers they would swap between hinges with clicks and thumb buttons and they would shoot the thumb button because they found it more accurate but then it would make them punchy so they'd go back to their hinge with a click in it right and i've dealt with a lot of professional archers now and they're always on this fence of going back and forth and i'm thinking why in the world do we not have a thumb button with a click in it doesn't exist didn't exist in the archer world right now other people have had this idea before evidently because when I when we put it out, I'd be like, well, I had that idea two years ago. I'm like, well, where the hell is it? <laughs> where is it? <laughs> yeah. it's, it doesn't exist. Like I know about just about every damn release that's ever been made here, and I, I don't know of any thumb buttons with a click in it. So I got together with Stan, and we made this thing. And, and I had even given the idea to other people first. But they're like, oh, yeah, that's a good idea. Okay, where is it? Right? So – but it's because nobody understood the science of the click. So the click does like three different things. Number one, it that movement to the click pulls your mind out of the aim. It pulls your conscious mind out of the aim because you have a very specific job that you have to do here, right? The click acts as a presence point. It sets the preload in the same spot. And you get to set up the motor program. You get to do your shot activation movement twice in one shot now. You, when, you, when you do a movement, like let's say we're pressing to the click on the Onyx clicker. So you press it, long travel, adjustable travel to the click. 
You just pulled your, your mind out of the aim and doing that, you sent a motor program down a neural pathway, but there was no consequence because it just clicks and you knew it was going to click and it's all cool, right? Takes all the anxiety out of the aim and then click, here I go. So the click is a presence point. Here I go is a decision that doubles down your presence. And now you just do the same motor program. You send the same motor program down the same neural pathway. Before with thumb buttons, you would draw back an aim. Then you would climb into this thing. And if you were doing it well, you would probably pull and it would stretch your hand, which articulates your thumb into the trigger. It's fairly complex movement, right? But how much preload you had on the trigger depended on how much pulling you had to do. And that's a variance. So now with an Onyx clicker, you can just single digit manipulation to the click. Here I go. Single digit manipulation after the click. Open loop to the click, closed loop after the click. It's so simple. It's been amazing. Because now all these people that want to shoot thumb buttons can have one with a click in it. It's been really cool. Super popular now. I shoot that Stan Onyx right now, not the click one, but the, yeah. a regular one. And it's a, a sweet release. So that's pretty exciting. They've got great sears. The people at Stan have been amazing. They, When I told them this idea, they're like, oh, that needs to happen. They said, I'm going to put you in, in touch with our engineer. So I got in touch with the engineer. He had it made in three hours. God. <laughs> three hours. He's like, he calls me. Like, I got it. I'm like, send it. So he sent me this prototype. It was amazing. It was so close to exactly what we wanted. We did a few more prototypes and it didn't take long. And now this thing is just, it's really cool, man. So I would suggest you, you pick one up because it's if you like shooting a thumb button, you will love this thing. And and Bodhi did a lot of hunting with it in New Zealand. It's we made the click quiet because other clicks and other releases are pretty loud. Like you can hear the click on Levi's hinge. You know, it seems to be okay on the white tails, but you know, I don't know. I'm sure it's got to have some effect. They, I'm sure they can hear it, right? So we made the click pretty quiet in this thing. And uh, yeah, so clicks and releases are a big deal. Yeah, no, that's exciting. I wanted to talk about your, obviously you talked about earlier how most, or you've sh shot a lot of shots on animals before that were uncontrolled. Mm -hmm. What was it like the first time you shot a controlled shot? Because I've, I've shot, like you've talked about in some of your other episodes, mm -hmm. I've shot a good shot before that I knew wasn't executed properly and it mm -hmm. still made me upset a little bit. What was your yeah. first controlled shot like? My first controlled shot was, I mean, it was so liberating, but I never blueprinted it, which I missed that opportunity. But it was such an amazing feeling like I finally did it. I mean, it's something that I've been chasing since I was seven years old. And I didn't shoot my first controlled shot. Well, I had some that were just kind of accidental control, but the first really controlled one was 2008. You know, I mean, I went through a lifetime of just not knowing how it was going to go. And after that shot, I had, I, I shot a bunch of stuff in 2009 and I punched the trigger every time in 2009, 2010, I shot another controlled shot. And it was just so amazing that that one in 2010 was so awesome because it was a 41 yard shot on a bull elk with my longbow in New Mexico. It's <laughs> awesome. And it was, it was broadside and it was facing the other way. 
And my buddy ranged it for me, and, and he says, 41. I'm like, oh, I got that, right? Because I knew that at 41 yards, I had to hold my point 18 inches over that bull's back. And I got that. I remember I remember sitting there behind that. I'm like, I'm going to shoot this shot perfectly, or I'm not going to shoot it at all. And I used to have to say that to make it so that the shot process meant more to me than killing the critter. And I know that sounds crazy, right? But until you reach that point where the shot process is more important than harvesting the critter, then you'll be stuck in the world of shot control gray area, not knowing how it's going to go. So I remember I, was, I said that I'm going to shoot this shot perfectly or I'm not going to shoot it all. And I drew my longbow back and I'm like, I'm going to do this right. As I drew my bow, I'm going to do this right. And I put my point up there, 18 is orders back. And I said, here I go. Keep pulling, keep pulling, keep pulling. My clicker went off, click, boom, and I shot that arrow. Oh, it was the greatest thing in the world, bro. <laughs> I mean, I just X'd this thing at 41 yards. And it was just so – I was ecstatic because I'd, I'd done it again. I did it in 2008. I did it in 2010, but I did not blueprint how I did it. I was so elated that I had done it. I just – I just didn't know how I did it. So 11, 12, 13, and 14, I killed all kinds of critters with uncontrolled shots. Till December 14, 2014, I shot my last critter with an uncontrolled shot. That's I just I still don't understand how you did it with the longbow because, like, you just now said your thought process while you were, uh, like, anchored back, but mine would have been, like, why didn't I have a compound? Like, there, <laughs> ain't, <laughs> there ain't no way. 41 <laughs> yards. Yeah. That's insane. It's, I mean, but now, I mean, that's a very doable shot for me. I mean, it's not a big deal. It's, it's very doable if the critter doesn't know I'm there. And obviously you deal with string jumping issues with a, with a stick bow, but, um, well with any bow, but especially with a stick bow, but like 41 yards is I'm in that's, it's happening. Right. Yeah. And, you had time to get your, to release the arrow and then get your binos out and watch it hit. Oh yeah. You can <laughs> get your binos out. You can eat a sandwich, whatever you want. Yeah. So. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I started, uh, so I drew out for a really cool recurve hunt this year, like a oh, controlled wow. hunt, wow. um, on like a 20,000 acre piece that is recurve only. So the success oh, wow. rate's like 5%, but there's, Oklahoma? yeah, it is. Okay, I know where that's at then. Yeah. No, no names need to be dropped. <laughs> Everybody knows if you're yeah. from, or, I mean, it's an awesome hunt, mm -hmm. but, um, what advice would you give for someone who kind of has a blank slate? just starting with the longbow or a recurve, like obviously I have some bad habits from a compound, but it's, mm -hmm. it's, it's different. What would you, what advice would you give me starting out? So I would probably shoot with a mechanoreceptive trigger, like a clicker to start with, um, and learn your own mind with this mechanoreceptive trigger. Mechanoreceptors are sensory receptors in your skin cells that pick up a stimulus. They send the stimulus to the brain. The brain sends the release motor program so like if you watch the olympics they will have a clicker on their bow and they load their arrow underneath it and then they draw the bow back until the arrow point is just on the clicker just about to fall off then they'll consciously expand more mm -hmm. and then click that click against the side of their bow that sound is picked up by the mechanoreceptors and the hair cells of the ear right so it'd be like click boom then that that will send stimulus and motor program gets sent so it's there's all kinds of different ways to do it on on uh, stick bows, not having to do that that particular clicker system. But there's a clickety click or a cricket. 
They're limb-mounted clickers. There's a side clicker that actually has a magnet that comes out and it it meets your arrow. Bink! It'll it'll pop against your arrow when it when it hits the the magnetized metal point. And uh, so that's another way to do it. I wouldn't start just start shooting with no mechanoreceptive trigger because you'll go down the you'll go down the path of of not getting either you most trad shooters either they can't aim like they're locked off target and if they're locked off target they can tension up any way they want but they can't aim so they just yip the bow to the target and off it goes which is horrible accuracy or if they can aim they can't get into their back muscles like they should like some of them can't even get to an anchor point like you'll see these six foot three dudes with a 19 inch draw length right i mean it's it's insane. So what, what the mechanoreceptive trigger does, it allows you to get your aim done, get your tensioning done, and then you, here I go, and then you start a separate movement like expansion or there's tab sears, there's grip sears, there's all kinds of different mechanoreceptive triggers that it's all on my online course. But uh, I would shoot with a mechanoreceptive trigger to start with. And then once you understand your own mind, then you can do what we call the safety concept, which is it you don't use a trigger, but you use a, a movement that is a physical separator from the aim and the tension. So you basically will be able to aim with no, no anxiety. You'll be able to tension up with no anxiety in your shot, which is a big deal in stick bow shooting. So yeah. are you a guy that shoots? I watched one Clay Hayes video and mm-hmm. I'd, I'd shot a few times and then I watched one Clay Hayes video and I immediately stopped my groups like probably three times tighter than they were before. Mm-hmm. Are you a guy who uses that arrow as a point of aim? Cause obviously there's no pin like there is on a compound or are you instinctual? Like how, how do you aim with a. So when I'm setting up a bow, like I, I shoot a bunch of different ways. Like I shoot with my thumb, I shoot with my fingers. I can shoot a bunch of different stuff. Each one of them has a different sight picture. If you were hunting whitetails for one of the first times with a stick bow, I would certainly use a fixed crawl system. So a fixed crawl means you got your arrow knock. You're going to be down below that a varying degree and tie a knock point to where you have, depending on where you're at. Like if you want a 20-yard point on, then that's going to be slightly down lower. If you want a 25-yard point on, it'd be, you know, you find where that point is on your string and then... I would suggest when you draw your bow back, don't get way back into your, don't get way back in here because you're going to scrape your face. And when you start scraping your face, then that causes a pre-ignition movement and you'll, you'll be running your head out of the way just so you don't hit your face. So what I do is I use the edge of my tab and I actually put the edge of my tab in the corner of my mouth and that keeps my string in front of my nose. I can see how you do it. So it keeps your string in front of your nose. So because as soon as you come around it, you're going to whack your nose. So if you keep everything out front, so you do that fixed crawl and your fingers will kind of sit on the front of your chin here. And then they've got nothing impeding them, right? So you're here, it just breaks off super clean. So I do a fixed crawl to where you have whatever you want, 20, 25, 30, whatever your point on is. And if it's, you know, if it's 25, you can usually be at the bottom of the chest at 20, top of the back at 30. So depending on how fast your setup is. 
So the fixed on portion of it, like you're basically replicating somewhat of like a, a pin, like this Mm -hmm. is my fixed pin, but it's has to do with your fingers. Yeah. So you are moving your, your fingers down the string, but you're always aiming. Like if you were truly string walking, you'd have a different, like when you look at a string walking tab, it'll have marks on it. So you would, you put your tab up against a string, put your thumbnail on it, and then you just move your, you move your fingers wherever you need to. That's for target stuff. But in hunting, fixed crawl, meaning you just crawl down the string a certain amount every time. So you have a, another knock point down there that you butt your tab up against. That moves your arrow closer to your eye. You still anchor down here, but it moves your arrow closer to your eye. Right? So you can change your point on. So you're still like, let's say you get it set for 25 point on. Well, that means you can actually put the point of the arrow on the target like a sight pin. Then That's wild. With that same crawl at 20, you'd be at the bottom of their chest. With that same crawl, you'd be at 30. You'd have to aim just a little bit over their back. And that's all just stuff you figure out through practice, right? Is there a a favorite recurve hunt that you have apart from the one on the New Mexico elk that you talked about? Uh, Yeah, yeah. So in 2019, I killed a monster bull, bull of a lifetime. I called this thing in and and I called him into 10 yards. It was a it was a hunt that took me 14 years to draw. And we got up in this nasty, nasty place. And we knew this bull. They even they even the the locals had named this bull the growler. And he was a big old beast. And they'd been listening to him for four years. So I knew he was at least four and a half years old. So we went in there, we found him the first night, and we slid up and we got close to his cows. I did the bull calling cows bugle, and this thing. Just, I mean, he was pushing elk out of the way with his antlers to get to me. <laughs> he ends up at 10 yards, digging his antlers into the ground, throwing mud and sticks all over the place. And I smoked him at 10 yards. I mean, not a difficult shot, but a difficult one to keep control of, right? Because when I finally got the full draw on that bull, I'm looking down the shaft of my arrow and every fiber of my being is like, just let it go. Just let it go, right? You're on. Why don't you let it go? And um, I remember saying in my head, those are my thoughts, right? And I remember saying in my head, no, I am not going out like that, <laughs> right? So I'm like, nope, I'm staying in it. So then I started working through my shot process. I was using a grip sear at the time. The grip sear popped. I shot that arrow. It went clean through the bowl in the exact spot I was looking at. It was so cool. Then it was like a four and a half mile epic pack out that was a real bugger. <laughs> but man, what a cool deal. What a cool deal. So yeah. even even decades later, since your first controlled shot, that's that battle, that mental battle is every single time you draw back on an animal. It oh yeah. Yeah. It's it's a lot better now. It's it's almost to the point now, like now I'm shooting a longbow with wood arrows and I'm trying to I'm trying to make things more challenging, but it's still because the shot process is so powerful. It's, I don't want to say as, as lost it's, it's mystique, you know, like people say, well, as soon as I don't get buck fever, I'm going to stop hunting. Well, I don't get buck fever anymore, but there ain't no way in hell I'm going to stop hunting. Mm-hmm. Right. So, but I really enjoy taking others. I really enjoy calling elk in for others so that they get to experience some of the things that, that I've been able to experience in my life. So it's uh, it's not super exciting for me to shoot stuff anymore, but 
I still enjoy it, and that's all we eat is wild game. So got to fill the freezer, you know. So now I'm going to be filling the freezer with a D-shaped longbow, which is going to be pretty sweet. <laughs> that's awesome. I bet you it almost comes second nature, especially you, to your son at this point. I mean, because he's he's been raised around it. So mm-hmm. I mean, he probably has more good information, obviously, flowing around him than you know he doesn't have that where he develops the bad habits early. So right, there's no mystery, and it just kills me when when I see young people shooting and they're, they're punching the trigger at seven years old, at 10 years old, at 15 years old, they're punching the trigger. It's never going to fix itself. You're only going to get worse with it because your subconscious thinks you're getting better because it's getting better and better at bracing you for impact. So it, it kills me. And then the parents rightfully so they want their kids to, to shoot really well. They want them to shoot like Bodie and this and that, but they can't stop punching the trigger themselves, right? We as parents have to be the example. So we got to get control of ourselves first, figure out exactly how we did it, and then give that information to our young people. But, you know, there's the whole thing of parents have a hard time teaching their kids. Well, it's usually in things that they don't have control of themselves, because if they if the kid sees their mom or dad in total control of something that they want to be in control of, then they'll actually listen to it. So it's it's pretty interesting how that whole dynamic, how that whole dynamic works. So who's better at this point, you or your son? (laughs) Well, he's on a compound. He is he's better than I am. I don't shoot compounds that often, but when I do, like when I, when I pick up a compound, if I set it up for myself on a Vegas round, I'm going to shoot 300, probably around a 22 to 25 X somewhere in there. Uh, but where Bodie's going to shoot a 30 X. So it's really (laughs) difficult to get to that level that he's at. Um, but we do a lot of things to his bows that increase his accuracy beyond what his shot control is because you know people say oh he's he's solid as a rock or whatever he's not I mean, his pin dances like at a in a vegas face or whatever in a field target his pin dances all over in the middle right i mean it's it's all over the gold it's not it's not just sitting in the x and we keep his bow light enough so the arrow can the rate of return of his pin is so fast that it can break anywhere in the gold and it will hit an x Okay. Okay. Right. So kind of like what you're showing me pointing, pointing. Yeah. The, the, you don't the have of the glasses over that, but people try to manipulate it by weighting up their bow or lengthening their draw length or reducing holding weight. All of those things slow pin movement down to where, and then you try to couple this with a surprise break. Well, if my pin is moving super slow, but I don't know when it's going to break, it's moving out of the center just as fast as it moves into the center. So why wouldn't you want that to be as fast as possible, right? But now we get this super weighted bow. It's got an 85% let off and things are just like really lazy. And then boop, it breaks in the nine ring and it hits a nine ring. Well, that means that your bow is too heavy or your draw length is too long or your holding weight is too light. So you're trying to get your pin speed up because you're not going to be steady. So the faster the shake, the better. I don't know if anyone's ever told you this, but you kind of know a thing or two about about shooting a bow. It seems like <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, no, that, forty years, man. Yeah, no, that makes sense. That's crazy. 
the uh, the first time that I uh, pulled through a shot and it my pin wasn't where the arrow actually hit. It was like mm-hmm. I had a huge epiphany because yeah. like I heard you on a podcast talking about it where you said by the time you slam that trigger, your pin's not even where it was that's when you pulled the trigger. Anymore. Yeah. Well, that's Christian, nuts. I remember you talking about that. Uh, it's been a while. Heck, it might have been last summer when when you're saying that. But you, I don't know if it was tack or whatever, but but you shot and you hit good and you told me like my pin wasn't even on that. And I'm thinking, Oh, you're, you're full of it because my, <laughs> my motto has always been like, you know, the muscle memory. Like if I, if I shoot enough reps, yeah. you know, and build up that muscle memory, then like yeah. whenever my autopilot, exactly. Yeah. That's basically been it. So, and that's, you know, autopilot will punch the trigger every time. A hundred percent. What it's built. That's what it's built for. Right. So no matter how well you aimed the shot, if you punch the trigger, the pre-ignition movements are what keep you out of the X. So you couple a surprise break with fast pin movement, then you've got the highest accuracy potential for that setup. It was it was really interesting to me too when you were talking about uh, Bodie and you said when you got him a compound bow when he was three, mm-hmm. his first instinct was to just slam the trigger. Oh yeah, that that sh- that showed me like that is our nervous system. Like that oh, is. Yeah. Yeah, it's uncontrollable. I mean, you clap over an infant, they'll close their eyes, right? Mm -hmm. We are born with an aversion to loud noises. We're born with an aversion to impact. Hmm. So it's very difficult. I mean, like I said, it's just shy of impossible. But when you understand how to consciously override your central nervous system, it just opens up a whole new world of accuracy for you. So to wrap, like, put all this in just super super step-by-step ways of doing things for for stupid people like me who have a <laughs> low very low shot iq okay. <laughs> uh, what's uh what's the need to know wrap it in a bow tie it off send it in the mail four things in your shot nothing else number one draw back and aim number two address the trigger Number three, say, here I go. And number four, talk yourself through the trigger movement. Those four things are what you practice every single shot. And then when you shoot those, when you shoot that that first controlled shot, like, oh, my God, I think I'm the greatest archer that's ever lived. (laughs) When you have that shot, you make sure you blueprint it. Four questions of the blueprint. Number one, what was I thinking about after here I go? You should be thinking about your shot activation movement, whatever that is for your release. Question number two, what was I saying after here I go? What words was I using? Words or sounds was I using to direct and trap that concentration? Question number three, could I have stopped it? If you can, if you can say hell yes to that, that means that you were in a closed loop control system. That The only way you can get into a closed loop control system is by having enough determination to make a decision so that you're present, so that you can concentrate. And question number four, what decisions did I make? Before I drew my bow back, did I say, I'm shooting this shot with control no matter what? As I drew my bow back, did I say something to myself like, I'm going to do this right? And then after the aim and after the trigger, did I say, here I go? Here I go being the most important three words you could ever say to yourself. Get yourself through that critical second. So wrap it up into a bow is those four things, do them every single time. And then understand exactly how you did it. And then you can go forth and know how you're going to shoot every shot for the rest of your life.
I think my practice routine just got a lot longer now that I'm going to have to think through all that stuff. I could probably get 50 arrows in a half hour now. And now it's going to take a little bit longer, I think. Well, it, it, you just get good at the organization of it, right? You shoot your shot. And you're like, okay, that was awesome. Blueprint it. If you shot when you're like, ooh, I think I punched a trigger a little bit on that one. Same questions of the blueprint. What was I thinking about? Well, I was thinking about pulling, but then I started thinking, how long is this going to take, right? So you find these fail points, and the biggest fail point of most archers is that they never decide to shoot it with control in the first place. They just draw their bow back and hope things are going to happen, right? Muscles don't have memory. They don't have little brains inside of them, right? There's no such thing as muscle memory. They're motor programs. There's a default that your mind want your mind wants to default to punching the trigger. So that's why you have to override it every single time. You do that through speech. So is there a I know we talked a ton about shot execution. Is there a routine that you have that you like recommend to people to shoot in a compound bow? Just a, if I was a Joe Smo and I picked up one today, is there something that you do um, that you think helps? Well, when you buy a release, buy a release that you can set spring tension with, with minimal travel. Because a lot of the release aids that people are buying as their first release are a nightmare. They've got long trigger travel and you can't set any spring tension in them. So therefore you can't climb into it. I want people to be able to climb in at least to a 90 degree edge, right? Where they draw back and aim, open your whole hand, wrap around the trigger here I go, and then just pull your hand through the strap, right? You're not moving your finger anymore. Just pull your whole relaxed hand through the strap. This hook stays tight. The rest of them can be wiggled and just pull your hand through the strap. And then once you do that, it's just, you know, there is no routine. Once you have shot control, once there is no question in your mind that you are going to work through that trigger, that's when you start shooting on one foot. That's when you start shooting on balance balls. That's when you have your buddy grab on your stabilizer and shake the crap out of it, <laughs> right? <laughs> so you have people clap. You have people talk. You have, you know, like when Bomar came to the house, I poured a bucket of water over his head while he was at full draw. You try to find stress so that you get reps in bringing your mind back out of whatever the stress is. And you get reps in making your thinking louder than your thoughts. You get reps and actually self-instructing your way through things. And we're using archery to do all these things. And when you can do it in archery, like we say all the time, shot control equals life control. The rest of the decisions in life become much easier because you're, saw, you're literally deciding to override your central nervous system every single shot. I saw something you did. I think it was elk shape on uh YouTube, you were taking an arrow and hitting in between his eye and the oh, peep yeah. sight. Uh, yeah. Oh, that was that was crazy. <laughs> we do all kinds of stuff. It's just to give people reps in taking right because as soon as I do that, they're like, "What's this guy doing?" Thoughts, right? Turn into thinking. No, no, no. watch this, Turner. I'm staying in this no matter what. So it's very easy to break people to start of the clinic. By the end of the clinic, they're using all the crazy stuff that I do to make them stronger instead of allowing them, allowing it to make them weaker. That, uh, I saw you, you do it and you talked about it a little bit. Um, 
the wrapping the finger around an index release versus touching it with the tip of your finger. I shot it for like a decade with like the tip of my finger. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people do. Yeah. What, what's the reason exactly that you don't recommend that? So if you have like, let's say you got the trigger and you only get on the tip of your finger, well, you have to move your finger to make it go off. Right. And single digit manipulation is much more difficult to control than if you were to hook in on this thing and pull, right. And use back tension to pull through it without having to move your finger anymore. So it's much easier to control bigger muscles. So if you set this thing out here, I can guarantee you, you're going to punch it. Like I've, well, I, I couldn't say, I shouldn't say I guarantee it. I've only seen like two people in all the times, all the clinics that I've done, thousands of archers that were able to be on the tip of their finger and move their finger slow enough. They could stop it like on a rifle trigger. Mm-hmm. Again, the reason it's so difficult to do on a bow and not on a rifle is because in archery, your body is in tension. And the explosion happens inside your body. So, so yeah. let's, uh, I'd like to end it like this. Is there one insane, uh, customer transformation that, that like sticks out to you? Like one person that couldn't hit the broadside of a barn or execute a controlled shot before that is just radically changed through well, your program? I mean, it happens every clinic. Like I get people in clinics that can't even put their finger close to a trigger, index finger. They can't put their thumb near a near a button. Uh, stick bow shooters can't get to full draw. Or stick bow shooters that are aiming literally at the ceiling and then dropping their bow and letting the arrow go at the same time. So, I mean, that story is from every clinic. Everybody's dealing with this. It's not a, it's not a 95% of the, every human being is dealing with target. You are born with an aversion to an explosion. So, you know, to say, well, I don't have target panic. Well, that's, that's cool, but I would need to see you shoot to confirm that. (laughs) (laughs) Target panic is not a disease. It's not something that you get. It's just how your mind works. It's not going to let you cause an explosion as a surprise. So those people that say, well, I don't have target panic and they are able to work through a shot. Well, they have figured it out, right? They know, and you can ask all these people, they all say something during their shot. None of them do it blank minded. Many of them can't, you know, don't want to tell you what they say, but you know, all the, of the hundreds of snipers and, and rifle hunters and successful bow hunters that I've interviewed the pattern of success is they all say something during their shot. So why wouldn't we follow that pattern of success, right? Well, all we've done is fine tune that I'm saying this at this moment, this at this moment, and this at this moment. And here's why we're saying those things, right? It's why we're making those decisions. Mm -hmm. Well, Joel, we, uh, we really appreciate you doing this. This was really fun. Um, I always like doing this, podcast with people that are a lot more knowledgeable than ourselves because it always gives us something to walk away and work on which yeah. is great and sucks at the same time because it seems uh, like every week we find a problem yeah but, <laughs> but i mean it's it's great that you guys are putting this information out there because the struggle just doesn't have to happen anymore everybody's dealing with this stuff mm-hmm. so let's get I the. Ju- i just like jumping on podcasts that like 95 percent of what i do while shooting just is completely 
shot out the window right now. If I'm being 100 <laughs> transparent, I don't, <laughs> I don't like that feeling, man. Uh, well, go shoot with thinking, and you will see. You'll get to experience what I experience on every shot. It's really cool, man. Just do those four things. Do those four things, and you will be squared away. So Sounds for uh, for folks that want to hear more stuff about you, maybe check out your program and uh, sign up. Where's the best place for them to do that? Uh, shotiq.com. That's the, my website where I've got all the online courses. I've got an online course in archery, one in precision pistol, and one in rifle. And that's where we dive into the science of how your mind works in shooting. And you get to hear a lot of the stuff that, that we talked about here today. And uh, Joel Turner underscore shot IQ on Instagram and give me a follow. I got some stuff on YouTube, got a new, a new brand coming out called the Turner method, which basically is what we do at shot IQ mental game equation. Thoughts aren't thinking and how to apply that to life problems. So that is coming. We're going to be filming that online course uh, late July and it's hopefully be out by the first of the year. So awesome. Well, thank you so much. And we'll definitely do this again sometime. Yep. Thanks guys. Thank you guys so much for checking out the Hunter's Advantage podcast. If you enjoyed the episode, make sure to leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcast, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you listen to the podcast. Thank you guys so much, and we'll see you in the next episode.